0: Well, hey, Ethos. Welcome to our online experience again this weekend. We're so glad that you're hanging out with us. And man, I miss you all so much. And I know that many of you have been asking questions about when will we be meeting again as a community? And our short answer to that is once the phase two reopening begins to take place here in Ohio, we've got a plan to begin to implement something that we call community groups, where we can meet in homes and in spaces across our community in smaller gatherings. And of course, we'll begin to build it from there. And you'll hear more information about that in the coming weeks as well. And then also just yesterday, Huge shout out to you all for continuing just to be a generous people and to lean into our value that generosity really is our privilege here at Ethos. We were able to give away over 160 care packages to nurses at Ohio State University, and uh, I hope that you were able to see some of the pictures of what those packages look like. And I'm just so proud to be a part of this church and to be a part of the relationships and the people and really just... All of our lives together, making a difference. We really are a community that's not built on just the generosity of a few, but the sacrifice of many. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for being committed to really loving all people in Jesus' name. Well, hey, we are in week four of a collection of talks entitled, How's Your Soul? And I've asked Mike and Lori Vaughn to read our scripture for us this weekend. So go ahead and check this out. Hello, Ethos. We're the Vaughns. This is Lori, and I'm Mike. This morning, we'd like to share with you a few verses from the book of Philippians. We'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I want to share this weekend from a talk entitled Your Eternity and Your Mentality. Your Eternity and and your mentality. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the moments that we have to gather together, even virtually right now. And wherever we find ourselves behind these screens, I ask that you would meet us right there, that you'd make up the distance by your grace between what I've prepared to say and what you want to speak. God, we pray for every single church all around our city and our immediate community here that you would continue to give wisdom to their leaders, that you'd provide for all of their needs so that we could continue to live on mission as one body in our city for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Last year, shortly after Christmas, as I'm sure many of you can relate, we were a little slow in getting just a few of our Christmas decorations put away. In fact, the last thing that we put away was, was the wreath the wreath that hangs on the front door. In fact, by the time that I even remembered to take the wreath down, I noticed that there was a nest, a robin's nest, with a few little baby robin's eggs in the nest. And so I was like, man, I can't, I can't take this down and, and consequently you know, destroy the lives of these future birds. And so I thought, this could be fun. Let's leave the, leave the wreath up leave the nest up, and we can allow our kids, Judah, who's five, and Sophia, who's 11, we can allow them to kind of watch these eggs hatch, and then the little birdies fly away. And so every few weeks, we'd, we'd kind of check them out again. I'd hold them, and we'd, we'd look at the nest. Eventually, when they hatched, the kids wanted to watch these little birds uh, grow up. And so every morning, as they'd wake up, they'd say, Dad, can I see the birds? And we'd hold them kind of high enough to kind of see the nest just inside the wreath. And eventually these birds began to, began to slowly fly, fly away. And we were fascinated by the events of watching these birds grow and fully take, take flight. But here's what's so interesting is that at no point during that whole scenario did I ever consider becoming one of those birds. Let me play this out for just a moment. I was fascinated by the birds, but never did I think to myself, man, I really want to be one of these baby birds. But here's what's interesting. As it relates to Jesus Christ, and you're probably thinking, how does that relate to Jesus Christ? But as it relates to Jesus Christ, we could almost say like count Jesus in. Like the best mansion that we could possibly think of would be like a bird's nest to Jesus. See, the idea of becoming a bird with a tiny little beak and feathery little wings. It's nothing compared to God becoming a one-celled embryo and placing himself within the womb of Mary. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus, who is God, steps out of heaven and comes into the likeness of man. It's, it's kind of like me or you stepping out of our home Putting ourselves into the nest within the wreath at my front door and becoming a baby bird. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. It's something that we would never possibly fathom or imagine or desire to actually do. And in Philippians chapter two, the scripture that Mike and Laurie just read a moment ago, we find Paul writing, and he says in verse four that in humility we ought to value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but each to the interests. Of others and he makes this statement in verse 5 that I think is is unbelievably relevant and certainly culturally relevant to us today he says in your relationships with one another in your relationships with your spouse with your husband with your wife with your friend with the barista at your local coffee shop with the uh, peers who live in your apartment or your kids who are in your home or your employees or your employers in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he's saying he didn't consider the advantages that he has as God to be used to the advantage that he has as man. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. This scripture is actually one of the reasons why we say at Ethos, that we don't have volunteers, we have servant leaders. Servants who lead and leaders who serve. And he goes on, he says, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of all of that, therefore, God exalted him. There's this, uh, there's this man by the name of Dr. Maxwell Maltz. He, He passed away over 30, 40 years ago now, but he was He was one of the early adopters of of cosmetic surgery. In fact, he became internationally known because he was one of the few doctors around the world who was able to help repair some scarring as it related to to fire and some of the the, the effects of of burning on your skin. And there's a story that Dr. Maxwell Maltz tells in one of his books, in one of his journals, where there was a woman who came to him and she told him of, of her husband who had been severely burned as her husband tried to rescue his parents from a burning home. And he was unsuccessful in doing so. And he felt the guilt and the shame as it related to being unsuccessful in rescuing his parents from the burning home. And make matters even worse, he himself was severely disfigured from the fire as well. And, and, and the story goes on that the woman's husband wouldn't even allow the woman to see him. He, he locked himself in his room and required that his wife would simply drop off the food at his door. And, and then he would open the door. She would walk away, grab the food, and then wanted to be, le- wanted to be left in isolation uh, f- for the rest of his days. And, and the woman just loved the man so much, loved her husband so much. I just wanted to see him. I want to spend time with him. She she catches wind that there's this doctor on the West Coast, Dr. Maxwell Maltz, who could possibly help her husband, possibly help her. And so she flies across the country, meets with the doctor, shares the story, and the doctor says, Hey, good news. I can fix your husband's face. I can restore his original image. And, and she says, No, no, sir, you don't understand. My husband will never come visit you. He will never get out of his room, fly across the country, and be willing to be seen by all those people in order to be seen by you. And he says, well, then why are you here? She says, because I I want you to disfigure my face so that I can be like him. And she says, if I can share his pain, maybe then he'll let me back in his life. The doctor is so moved by the woman that he shows up The man's house. He himself flies across the country, knocks on the man's door. The man continues to refuse to let the doctor in. Eventually, the doctor, through the door, says, "Uh, She wants me, your wife wants me to disfigure her face, to make her face like yours, in hopes that you will let her back into her life. That's how much she loves you. Eventually, the man opened the door and allowed the doctor to perform the procedure on him because he was so moved by the act of love from his wife. You know, the way that that woman felt about her husband is very much indicative of the way that God feels about us. He became like us. Just hang with me for a moment. He, he, he took on our own disfigurement. Just think about the places that he was willing to go. He he steps out of heaven. Uh, he goes to feeding troughs, to carpentry shops, to the, to, to, to the cross and to the to the tomb and that's where we pick up again then in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 let's lean into this one more time the writings of Paul where Paul then says now in your relationships with one another have that same mindset the mindset of Christ Jesus now I want to I want to ask us this question today and this is kind of the climax of of the whole talk in our time together I want to ask us this question, and I want us to really lean into this for a moment here at Ethos. If you consider Ethos to be your home, if this is the community in which you're engaging in, and it certainly doesn't have to be, my my encouragement to all of us is you don't have to live life with Ethos. Just don't ever live life alone. Find a community that you can really engage in and fully give yourself to the people of that community and so that together we can really make a difference both in our immediate community and all across the world but if you consider ethos to be your home i want us to lean into this question for just a moment if you're a follower of jesus and you're not even a part of ethos that's that's okay too because this is for this is for you now if you're not a follower of jesus you can excuse yourself from the conviction of this question for just a moment but but here's here's the question god's love has changed your eternity but has it changed your mentality See, for a lot of us, as followers of Jesus, we'd say, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm going to heaven. I have the assurance and the hope and the faith of salvation in eternity in the presence of Jesus, God, and His Holy Spirit forevermore. But right now, here on this earth today, in 2020, has God's love changed our mentality? Let, let me unpack this just a bit. See, the number of mass killings that continue to happen all across our world. The, the number of racial crimes that, that even just last week as we caught news of the video that went viral that happened even a couple months before that of Ahmaud Arbery and, and all that relates to the injustices and even just the, the, the prejudice jokes that we laugh at and engage in or the anxiety and depression that those around us are experiencing, maybe that we're experiencing even in our own life, we see it so often even the effects of COVID-19 and the pain that people are experiencing, both physically, relationally, mentally, emotionally. But we grow numb to it all. And I think in some ways we grow numb to it because there's so much of it. I think in other ways we grow numb to it because it's a safety mechanism within our own lives. My my, my daughter, Sophia, last summer, she had to get a tooth pulled. She had to get a, a, a molar pulled because she had one of her adult teeth growing up in the and, and, and the and the doctor or the dentist rather said, hey, we need to remove that one to make more space for the new one. And so so she asked me, she said, do you want you want Sophia to have Novocaine or laughing gas? And my first thought was laughing gas because that could be kind of funny to see her on laughing gas. My second question was was which one's more expensive? And then my third question was, let me ask my wife. And and but the point is that the the dentist immediately wanted to help Sophie uh, avoid the pain of the tooth being pulled in the in the, the consequential pain that that, that comes from, from that experience because we don't like to feel pain. And in fact, generally speaking, we try really hard to avoid pain, frustration, burden We, we generally speaking, we run from those things. And, and a lot of times for good reason, right? Like there, there are times in which we ought to, you know, don't cross the road with your eyes closed, right? Like that's okay, obvious, right? But, but I think you understand what I'm talking about though. Like, like metaphorically, we avoid pain uh, like it's the bubonic plague. We, we don't want to experience pain within our own lives because we don't know what to do with pain. So here's what we generally do. We, we we tend to focus on our own well-being what i would call safe living or living safe and we've spoken about this before at ethos but i want to lean into it just in a slightly different way slightly different way today because because what if the pain that we experience was actually intended to draw us closer to the will of god for our lives i believe that our god is big enough to use the stuff that we don't understand to bring even greater understanding of his will for your personal life and his will for us as a community, even here here at Ethos. Uh, when I was in high school, I was I was working out with some friends and I was carrying a 45-pound 45 45-pound 45 weight, and I, I accidentally dropped the weight on my big toe. And I had sneakers on, but it it doesn't matter what you're wearing, unless it's steel-toe boots, it went right through my sneakers and and it, I hope this isn't too much information, but popped the big nail off of my big toe. And it was not the prettiest thing, and it certainly caused a lot of pain. And instantly, I dropped to the floor, and, and I began to hold my toe. I ripped my shoe off, and I began to hold my big toe with the hand that had just dropped the weight. As I look back on that experience, I, I realized and I remember that what didn't happen was my big toe didn't point its proverbial finger at the hand that just dropped the weight. It didn't begin to blame my hand, even though it really was my hand's fault. It, it, in fact, what happened was the thing whose fault it was actually rushed to the aid of that which was in the most pain. Because, because what, what happens in, in a healthy environment, in a healthy family, is that whoever is in pain, other family members rush to the aid of those who are in pain because we realize that we're all a part of the same body. In John chapter 11, a story that we read a couple weeks ago in a talk that we did entitled uh, uh, Grieving is Good, Even God Grieves, uh, we we referenced the story of, of John 11 where Jesus weeps Because Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, are just distraught over the fact that Lazarus has just passed away. And Jesus sees the pain of Mary and Martha. And consequently, in verse 35, the scriptures say that Jesus himself wept. The shortest scripture, the shortest verse in all the Bible. Like if you just want to memorize one verse, memorize that verse. I remember years ago, my grandpa actually asked me. He said, he said, Jordan. how many verses do you have memorized? I said, one, Jesus wept. And he said, where's that verse at in the Bible? And I said, I don't know, but I know it's there somewhere. Well, it's in John 11, verse 35. It's in reference to the pain that Jesus himself took upon himself because his friends, Mary and Martha were experiencing that pain too. What Jesus didn't do was run from the pain. He didn't escape the pain. He didn't ignore the pain. He actually embraced it, felt it, and used it to his advantage. The compassion that he experienced because of the pain that Mary and Martha were experiencing caused Jesus then to do something about that pain and ultimately raise their brother from the dead. See, we, we have an option in life, always, as followers of Jesus. We have an option to live safe or to live sent And I have hesitated over the last few weeks to even use this terminology that we've introduced to ethos before because mostly just in fear that that we'll misunderstand or misappropriate what I'm trying to say. What I'm not saying is that when we live sent, that it's in direct opposition to wisdom of living safe. What I am saying, though, is that living safe, metaphorically speaking, means to live with a hardened heart and avoid the pain of tragedy. To, to, see the, to, to hear the statistics, to watch the news, to hear the stories of our friends and our peers who are experiencing difficulty all around the country, all around our city, all around the world, maybe even in our own backyard, maybe even in our own family. But we harden our heart because it helps us to avoid the pain, to not feel the pain, and consequently then not to react and do something about the pain. To live safe means to live close fisted and to store up more for ourselves as opposed to living open-handed and give more away to others who are actually in need. Living safe means to come to church on Sunday but remain hidden on Monday, to come to church on Sunday but to remain a hidden follower of Jesus on Tuesday. Living safe means that we increase our standard of living before we ever think about increasing our standard of giving. I'm so proud of a couple friends of mine who came to me a few weeks ago and they said, hey, we got together, we got this stimulus check, and we don't need it. Who in our church needs it? I was blown away. I thought, that's, that's living sent. Living safe would say, well, let me, you know, buy a new car. Not that you could do that with the stimulus check, but you get the point. But, but, but rather they said, no, no, we, we want to, is there a need? We have supply. I want to give it away our propensity as human beings is to live safe naturally if we don't fight against that propensity that inclination we will always seclude to the fear of living safe and we'll simply say I'm just going to kind of shelter at home and sheltering at home has its place but as followers of Jesus, I grow concerned sometimes that we become too inundated with our own safety that we forget about the well-being of the world around us. Because I think that really what we ought to lean into is living sent. And when we live sent, we live with this question at the forefront of our minds. Again, not a new question for us at Ethos, but, but I, I believe the greater part of instruction is being reminded of what we've already been taught. The question is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me in every situation in my life? What does love require of me as a husband right now, as a wife right now, as a friend right now, as a student right now, as an employer, as an employee right now, as a leader in my home, in my, com- in my community? What does love require of me right now? What does love require of me? Before I make that decision, let me ask this question. What does love require? require of me. Love always requires that we do something. In the words of the great Bob Goff, love does. Love doesn't sit on its butt waiting for somebody else to do it. Love doesn't point the finger and say, well, it's their fault. Oh, well, it's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. It's the election year. And so right now, there's so much pointing fingers as there is every two, every four years. Love said, no, no, no. I'm going to take personal responsibility and do what I can. And sometimes to do what you can is to simply pray. And sometimes doing what you can is to simply offer a listening ear and to actually not say anything. But I'll tell you what, what love never, never requires is to do nothing. I love the quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It's one of my favorite quotes. I have it, I have it actually framed in our team space at, at Ethos. And, and he says, The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. He said, If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? I was reading some articles earlier this week. And began to discover the World Food Program just released a statement that they're estimating that we are soon going to hit over 300,000 starvation deaths per day. Let me say that again. They said that within the next three months, we could experience worldwide 300,000 starvation deaths per day. That's up from 21,000 deaths. Last year at this time, it's all related to the international shutdown of COVID 19. Our suicide rates in our own city right now in Columbus have spiked over 20% just in the last month. And that's just an estimate. Domestic violence is up over 35% in our own city right now. 47% of Americans, American adults, report feelings of depression and anxiety. God's love has changed your eternity. But has it changed our mentality? Or do we allow ourselves to become hardened by what's happening all around the world right now? Do, 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 does, 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 has God's love changed the way that we treat the people who look different than you? Has God's love changed the way that you respond to people who vote different than you? Has God's love changed the way that you care about people who can do nothing for you? You want to really see the true test of of a man or woman's character? Watch how they treat people who can do nothing for them. I love the words of Jesus where he says, those who do for the least of these have actually done it for me myself. How we treat people who can do nothing for us, Jesus is saying, that's actually how you're treating me, me too. I want to close with this in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Paul is writing, he says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Recently, somebody, somebody told me, they said, Jordan, you, you talk a lot about love. i like, when are we going to get to like some of the deeper stuff? And, and I just smiled and I said, love is the deeper stuff. I said, if you learn to love your neighbor, you consequently learn to love God. This is the great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in response, you are loving God. So I want to ask this question once again. Are we living life on a mission to fulfill the law of love? Or are we more concerned with living safe rather than living sent? What does love require of me? It could be simple. Maybe sometimes you even feel like the answer to that question is just too small. Like it doesn't really make a difference. No, it does. It absolutely does. I think just last week, with the whole Ahmaud Arbery thing, I think sometimes the best thing you can do is to simply reach out to somebody who you don't understand how they feel, but consequently you want to, and you simply give them a call and say, hey listen, I don't know, I can't relate as a middle-class white male to what it is that some of my black brothers are going through and what it is that they experience on a regular basis. But shame on me if I don't ever try. As a community, here at Ethos, may we always live on a mission to live sent, not safe. May we always be a people who say, I'm gonna make a difference no matter the cost. What I'm not saying and advocating is you take upon yourself a responsibility to bring about change that only Jesus can bring. But what I am advocating is that we be the body of Jesus and consequently live out the values of Jesus so that we can represent the person of Jesus. So we are going to live sent, not safe. And church, I want to to encourage us that we lean into this question every single day. What does love require of me today? How do I love that person and that person no matter where they find themselves, on the left or on the right, what does love require of me?